All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Spectrum Dad podcast. I am your host, Fred Marvel. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Jerry Rothwell. Jerry, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Fred. Anytime. I am very excited about this. Jerry, you are the director, am I right? That's right, yeah. Of, of uh, the film The Reason I Jump, which uh, I watched for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And I was blown by, I was blown away by it because um, being quite honest, I've never heard of the book. Um, and I, a couple of autism accounts that I follow, you know, watch, watch the film and they highly recommended it. So I, I checked it out and then I looked into the background of, of the film and the book and everything. So Great. I'm happy you could uh, join me today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, it, it is a really, um, it's kind of quite an astonishing book, I think. I mean, I I came across it through um, two of the producers of the film, Stevie Lee and, and Jeremy Deer, whose son, Joss, uh, is a teenage um, non-speaking autistic boy you see in the film, um, one, of the, mm-hmm. one of the characters in the film. Um, and... Uh, I think I think for them as as parents, they came across it. I don't know when Joss was maybe five or six, and it had really sort of transformed the way they understood their son. So they that hence the motivation for for making the film. Right now, for people that don't know, uh, it was originally written by a thirteen-year-old boy from where was he from? Japan. Uh, yeah, he's Japan? from just outside Tokyo in Japan. Okay, and then it wasn't. The the what he wrote down was it in like a story form or it was yeah. eventually translated. Right? I mean, yeah, the book takes the form of sort of fifty eight questions about autism. I guess things that maybe neurotypical people ask or and and Naoki's answers are kind of about his own experience. You know, in a way, it's a book about his internal mental process. Um, I think he wrote it. I think these pieces were written. Um, I actually went to meet Naki, which I'll, I'll tell you about. I, but um, th- yeah. these were written kind of, um, I guess, I think from the age of eight through to the age of 12. Okay. Um, and they were put together into a book by a local autism association. And uh, David Mitchell, a novelist, a writer of Crowd Atlas, uh, Cloud Atlas, um, his uh, wife is Japanese and they'd come across the book and, and decided to translate it just for, for those support workers, for their son, who was who's also uh, uh, non-speaking autistic. Um, and, uh, you know, he was talking to his uh, publisher one day and they decided that they would publish it. And since then, the book's become, you know, this kind of international bestseller where it's translated into 35 languages, I think. Wow, that's incredible. And, um, yeah, like I said, this is all new new to me. And uh, we're kind of learning as we go. Um, our son, our oldest son, Alex, is 11. And he was just diagnosed last summer, right before his 11th birthday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're uh, learning as mm-hmm. we go. So all, all of this stuff, like this is, that's why I was so blown away uh, uh, by the film, because it kind of, it, it gives you like an incredible insight into, into what our kids uh, go through that are, you know, mm-hmm. what they feel and everything, you know, on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, you know, the the book is a huge success. How does that translate 
in, into a into a film though. Well, so so I mean, I can. My first instinct was, you know, well, let's make a film about Naoki, uh, this twelve-year-old, right. you know, finding his voice um, and becoming a writer. He's now. 26 i think and actually has written maybe eight or ten books i think altogether two two of them are in english um yeah and so i went to tokyo i met with him and meeting naoki is a kind of extraordinary experience i mean there have been some people who have been skeptical about whether naoki wrote the book um but you know he still uses the same means of communication as he did when he wrote it um this is pointing mm-hmm. at a letterboard and he also types independently to a computer you know both of those means of communication are um completely independent you know no one's um touching his arm as as in the the sort of uh the, the facilitated communication of the 90s which fell a lot into disrepute no one's um kind of you know s- supporting his typing and you'll ask him a question and you know it may take 10 minutes and he may be in the course of writing the answer subject to lots of distractions get up go to go to the window speak about some memory of 10 years before but you know ultimately we'll get out this sentence which is you know very poetic often and and uh, and you know a direct response to your to your question so that it's a kind of incredible experience to meet him um he was quite excited by the idea of doing the film but he had sort of the rule that he re- he really didn't want to be filmed he didn't want to become the subject of a film um so yeah. that left me with this book with these kind of 58 <laughs> answers to questions um <laughs> and no characters uh no plot um and deciding how to adapt the film and i guess what i decided was that the film should try and be a sort of cinematic equivalent of the book you know it should that what the book does is take us into a a, a sensory and mental experience and that the book the film should try and do the same thing as the book um and so I decided to kind of work with a number of different non-speaking autistic people around the world to sort of sit a film audience alongside alongside them i guess for 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 a time uh, and use all the tools of cinema of sound and of picture and of framing and of movement to try and shift i i guess not to simulate what uh what any of those people are feeling but to just try and shift you away from maybe the neurotypical way of experiencing a room or a uh a meeting or a, you know a, 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 a daily event an everyday event um and that's really what the film tries to do. Yeah. Now, how did you how did you find the different families that you followed? I know, you know, one was a was a producer mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm. film, but um, you know, how did you how did you come across? All yeah. That? So I guess it started started from from Joss, who was the producer's son, and and Joss. The great thing about that is, you know, I could get to know Joss over a period of time. He was in the UK, and we yeah. filmed with him over a couple of years, really. Which and also that those couple of years were Joss's adolescence, which I think is a difficult time for all, particularly young men with. Uh, mm-hmm. young non-speaking autistic men um and but, but i wanted sort of also to um you know i found that i found this artist amrit karana um she's a non-speaking autistic artist she's aged, aged around in her early 20s in in uh, noida in, in near delhi in india um and she started off i think using drawing as a way of communicating her day with her mother and then over the last 10 years that's turned into this kind of incredible art practice where she she makes these amazing huge colorful paintings uh, and exhibits them and yeah. it struck me that her work was a you know, that what we needed to do in the film was take people 
right from the beginning into a different way of seeing and it felt that you know a visual artist was a great way of doing that and her work was a great way of doing that so so she kind of starts the film i guess um and then we go to joss uh, where we sort of experience that sensory intensity that we've seen in amrit's artwork in a slightly different way maybe in a more overwhelming and difficult way um, and then the film kind of goes to the States and, and meets Ben and Emma, who are part of a, an advocacy group called The Tribe. And it, it gets a bit more sort of, I guess, political. Uh, they communicate using the same method as, as Naki uses to, to write his book. Um, and then finally, we go to Sierra Leone. Uh, and I, I, say, I think the film there is, is really sort of moves out to be less about an interior experience and more about society and how societies need to change. Because um, in Sierra Leone, uh, autistic people face a lot of stigma. Um, and the response of Justina's family uh, is to create a school, a sort of, which is both a kind of haven for people in what has a, is actually quite a dangerous environment for autistic children. Uh, and also one that kind of can help support and uh, uh, parents and educate the community. Well, yeah, and it, and it's and it's incredible because all of their stories are are unique, yeah. and uh, they're all, you know, they're all stories that that people that people can relate to in one way or another, whether your kid is verbal or nonverbal or. Yeah, you know. I think, I mean, I wanted the film to um, also kind of not generalize about uh, autistic young people. You know, uh, each of these people is their own person and very individual and the way, uh, you know, autism plays out and their character is very different, if you like. And uh, um, so, and I think you, hopefully what you get from the film is this sort of gradual building up of a picture of the sort of incredible kaleidoscope uh, of, of young autistic people. Absolutely. How long did it take to, from, from start to finish, to get all of the footage mm. from all of the different kids and their family? I mean, you, yeah, and usually, the, usually these films always take, you know, years, mainly because it takes a long time to raise the finance for them. But I'd say we've probably shot over a two year period um, and then the edit another, another year or another, another six months. Wow. That's incredible. Now, how how can how can people have watched the film is it going to be in theaters yeah or? so i mean we, we sort of very much designed the film for the cinema you know we we um we, we recorded right. 360 degree sound in all our locations you know something you can then translate in an atmos cinema to sound being in 128 different positions in the cinema you know and, and uh, which allowed us to i guess to play with a, a sort of uh, a soundscape that wasn't necessarily the neurotypical one um, but of course, you know, just after we'd completed the film, we, the film launched at Sundance and that was great. We played it in an Atmos cinema, had a fantastic response. And then yeah. just after Sundance, obviously the world shut down. So it's really only ever played on people's laptops since then. Um, but we, we've, we've just released in uh, the US through Kino Lorba um, and the film, the Kino Lorba have a... Uh, you know, whilst cinemas are shut, they have a, a program called uh, Kino Marquee, which enables cinemas to show the film virtually. So you, you register for the film through your local cinema and uh, assuming it's showing it and then you get a link and you can watch it at home. Um, so that's been that's been great. It's been out, I think, a week so far. So there's probably still time on, on I think it's kinomarquee.com. Uh, to find the film and and uh, and watch it, and then down the line there'll be opportunities, hopefully, to see it in the cinema, and, and also hopefully to for for groups to organise their own screenings. 
I know. Cross your fingers. I, you know, I, I was reading this morning uh, while I was eating breakfast about all of these yeah. movie releases that are getting played and every, you know, they, they keep yeah. getting pushed back. And, you know, that's, that's one of my favorite mm-hmm. things to do, to be honest, is go, is go to the mm-hmm. movie theater and everything. Um, now I will definitely, I'm definitely going to post uh, the link uh, for your website so people can sure. people can view the film and everything i'll put it in the right. show notes um but what what is what's next for are there any plans to um make any of any of his other books into films or? i mean uh for, i mean i suppose part of the process of making this film for me was to come across this incredible sort of literature by non-speaking autistic um, writers, you know, so so people like Tito Mukherjee and Ido Kedar, uh, each of their books is kind of unique, but they have these common touching points, which particularly is about their sensory experience of the world, I think. Um, and it feels like, yeah, that's a hugely ripe um, area for cinema, because in a way, cinema is about also creating a kind of sensory experience for an audience. Um, whether I'll go on and do do more films on that subject, I don't know. I mean, the book that, that Naoki wrote after The Reason I Jump is called um, Fall Down Seven Times, Get Up Eight. And what's interesting right. about it is where where The Reason I Jump is the, the work of, you know, clearly the work of someone just emerging from childhood, a teenager coming to kind of understand himself. The Fall Down Seven Times is a is a book that's written by a young man who's, you know, it's a much more mature voice. It's a, the, the comparison between the two books is really interesting, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, so okay. someone, someone maybe might be, <laughs> be interested in <laughs> turning that into a movie. Yeah, I, you never know. Um, but this is this has been great. Um, I'm gonna. I really need to uh, encourage everybody to go out of their way and and watch this film. It's it's uh, really amazing. It's really well done, and I can't thank you enough for taking a few minutes out of your day uh, to hop on the podcast with me and share a little bit of insight into the background. Great. And Thanks, Fred. Yeah, good to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Take it easy. Cheers, thank bye. you again. All right, see ya. Again, I want to thank Jerry for hopping on the podcast today, and I want to encourage everybody out there, if you haven't seen this movie yet, go check it out. I'm going to put the website where you can go and click through to get a screening of it on your computer, your laptop, whatever you want, in the show notes. So make sure you get that done and tell me what you think. I'd love to hear from you. You can hit me up on Instagram at the Spectrum Dad Pod. Um, And I can't forget to leave you guys without the joke of the week. So here it is. What do you call it when a group of apes start a company? Monkey business. I'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.